Months ago when I picked up the scripture for the first time getting ready for this message, I heard a song playing in my head. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? We are family. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Okay. So that, that's what was going through me uh, when I first picked up this scripture. I'm not going to touch those parables at all. I'm going to stay with the family theme here, the kind of the first and last part of the scripture lesson this day. As a pastor, I get to work with all different kinds of families. It's, it's wonderful to see all of the diversity in a church family. Sometimes I get to work with three or even four generations that are living close together. Sometimes it's a single person. Sometimes it's a lesbian couple that's raising children together. Sometimes it's empty nesters. Sometimes it's blended families where a husband and wife come together from prior relationships. They bring children all together as one. Sometimes it's parents with adopted children. Sometimes it's widows or widowers. Sometimes it's those people are dealing with abuse, all the different kinds of abuse. Sometimes it's families that get to have supper together almost every night. Sometimes it's couples living together. Sometimes it's those families that get to say bedtime prayers with their children. And many, many more different kinds of families I get to work with. Here's one big takeaway for this message today. There's a family guru that I follow. His name is Edwin Friedman. Uh, was a psychotherapist and a rabbi. And he said this at one of his workshops. He said, at our very best, any family only operates at about 70%. Can I get an amen here? <laughs> only about 70% at our best. I'm really glad that we have this scripture here in Mark. Only Mark records this incident where the 30% of Jesus' family gets to come out. The 30% that's missing, that's incomplete, that's not quite whole here. Jesus is in a house in Capernaum on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and it's so crowded in this house that he and his disciples can't even eat. And his family, his biological family, comes and they want to take him away. And I'm going to use some technical jargon here. They want to take him away because they think he is bonkers. That he's bananas, that he's loco and la cabeza. He's just, you know, he's, he's lost it. And, and literally in the Greek, this is what it says. He is beside himself. Do you get it? He's outside of who he is. He is beside himself. Some of you are in families, right? <laughs> uh, do families have expectations of you? Roles that you're supposed to play? Um, Sometimes you get labeled as the hero child, overachieving, super responsible. Sometimes you can't compete with that hero child and uh, you are the uh, rebellious child. Well, I know how to get attention and affection. I could just act out over here. Some of you are nodding. Okay, some, uh, <laughs> some of you may be that quiet child that is very creative on the inside. You have kind of your own interior world. Some of you may be kind of like the family clown, the family pet. A lot of times babies in the family get to play this role. You can do no wrong. Whatever happens, it's just all right. Do, do families have expectations of uh, us, roles that we're supposed to play? 
Uh, I know I did. Um, some of you have heard this story before. I'm hoping enough of you haven't that I, you could still get it. So it's uh, anyhow, I, I was expected to follow in my dad's footsteps, maybe take over the farm, um, that kind of thing. I went to A&M because my dad went to A&M, my granddads went to A&M, uncles went to A&M and all that. I was uh, pursuing a degree in mathematics at A&M. But I got very involved with the Wesley Foundation, the Methodist student ministry there, and I felt a call to ministry. And my campus minister nurtured those gifts and graces in me. I'll never forget, it was the sophomore year at Christmas break, winter break, and I went home and mom and dad were sitting there in their lazy boy recliners. Can you see them? Can you see them? Okay, and I'm standing here at this end of the living room and I said, mom, dad, I think I'm called to be a, a Methodist minister. And they go, what? They go, what a waste of an education. You could do so many things. Why, Why the ministry? Uh, can't you serve God in, the, in other ways? And, and it just really hurt me. It wounded me. And I said, but, but I thought you wanted me to be religious. And they said, yes, but not that religious. <laughs> Families have expectations, roles that we're supposed to play. And when we go the opposite way, another way, what happens? We get some pushback. Families kind of react to that. In this story, Maybe Jesus' family, they come to him out of a true concern. Maybe they're trying to do an intervention on him, you know? Maybe they're trying to protect the family name. Has that ever happened in your family? Maybe I can see Jesus' family saying, well, this can't get around Galilee. <laughs> you know, Jesus, our eldest son, acting out like this. Jesus doesn't act according to his family's expectations, at least his biological family's expectations. He is eccentric. Don't you love his eccentric people? He has another center in his life, and it doesn't come genetically. It doesn't come from his mom or dad or his brothers or his sisters. It comes from someone else. It comes from someone else. It comes from his heavenly father. Our natural relationships are important, and there's all kinds of studies done about family systems. But in the church, and in this lesson today, we focus on this other relationship about God's purposes for us, God's call upon our lives, and that being the most important thing. What does Jesus say? Who's my family? Whoever does the will of God. This was very important in the early church when there were devout Jews that were converting to Christianity, when there were Gentile people, those others that were coming to Christianity, how does this group become a family? They all are one in Christ. They all follow the same God and purpose. Men and women. Women are starting to be empowered here. Slaves and free all coming together in this community. And what matters most is following the will of God in their lives. It's still true today. Our primary relationship is with this God whose calling is upon us all. When I was pastor in San Saba, Texas, I'll never forget doing that graveside service. I had a member of my church, and we'll call him Jim, and he was uh, 
an older man, but he was taking care of an even older man, we'll call him Roy, in the nursing home. He handled all of Roy's business. He did all of his uh, paperwork. He kept up with his bank account. He visited him almost every day. He did all of his medical work. He had the medical power of attorney. He was the one that uh, was going to probate the will, make sure all that happened. When Roy died, Jim asked me to do his service. It was a graveside service. I'll never forget. It was a cold winter day. And at the graveside, there I was with the funeral director. And there was Jim and his wife. And that was it. And the passage I read at that graveside was this one from Mark's Gospel. Who's my family? Who's my mother, my brother, my sister? Whoever does the will of God. And I said to Jim, you're his family. <laughs> you're closer to him than anybody else. And it's true. We still act like this today. They're people that we're related to only through Christ. It's happening right now in Wimberley and other communities along the Blanco River. As strangers show up, but because we're related in Christ, we become family. We continue to act this way in this congregation too. There's someone in the hospital. There's someone who dies. There's someone who's going through another crisis. And we are there. And we walk together and we get through it together and we are family in those early days it seemed crazy what Jesus was doing forgiving enemies loving the unlovely welcoming serving honoring the most vulnerable amongst us dying for sinners and still people look at us today and they may think we we act kind of crazy and maybe that's okay, that we follow another kind of dynamic. We follow the will of God for our lives, which makes us family together. When Jesus doesn't act according to his family script, he actually frees them up to start looking at other roles for their lives. And Mary, his mother, even though at this scene, wants to take her baby boy back, and make him act according to some other script. At the end of the Gospels, you know the story. She's there for the passion and for the resurrection. And Jesus' next younger brother, James, if you read the book of Acts, he becomes a leader in the early church in Jerusalem. When we act according to the will of God, it frees up others to find out where they're supposed to act according to the will of God too and not just according to the family script that's been handed down. Listen here, here's another takeaway for you. You will never know who you are until you know who God has called you to be. You will never know who you are until you learn how to relate to these other wonderful crazy people around you called church. And what a gift that is. Here's the good news I have to share with you this day. In Christ, we are family. Amen.